the sun rose and work began. Word of a better day spread throughout the people. A day free from bondage. This hope carried them through their labor. They knew their God was faithful, that he had a plan, one to set them free, to a land promised by God, to his people, for his people, a plan of redemption, but they lost focus. Turned away from the God who was faithful, worshiped false idols, turned back to the very culture God was rescuing them from, turned back to their past, to bondage. So they wandered and wandered. They began to grumble and curse the God who rescued them. They would never set foot in the land they were promised. They would never be unleashed. But God's plan perseveres despite the disobedience of his people. He waited for a new generation to rise up from the dust, one that would step out from their wandering and into the purpose for which God was calling them, to be a nation set apart that would bring glory to him. He continues to call those courageous followers out of the desert, away from our wanderings, to be God's representatives here on earth, to be unleashed from the bondage of our past, unleashed from being brainwashed by culture, unleashed with the backbone to lead the church, unleashed with the boldness to serve the world, unleashed for the gospel. He calls his people to be unleashed. Welcome, everybody. Continuing a series in the book of Romans called Know the Why. And this morning's message is called Insight to Freedom. And we're just embarking on Romans chapter 7. But in the first six chapters of Romans, Paul describes the issue that every one of us has, the issue of sin. We're all guilty of sin. In fact, we're, we're doomed to eternal damnation because of our sin, but Paul doesn't leave it there. Thank God Paul explains that we have forgiveness, we have eternal life, we have freedom that's available through Jesus Christ. And, and Paul sums up for Christians in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6-10, through 10, uh, just the blessing of being connected with Christ. And so before I start in Romans 7, I want to just take a quick look, kind of an introductory look at Romans 5, 6 through 10. I'll read it to you. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be, perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us, and here it is, by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we're made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So the Lord Jesus has given Christians victory over sin and over death. But, but listen, it's also true that, that Christians struggle with sin. So we have this dichotomy going on. 
And now Romans 7 gives some key insights that we're going to zero in on this morning regarding our relationship to the law and how we respond to that and the liberation that we have from sin. And listen, every Christian can experience greater freedom when they understand what God has done for them through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now keep in mind that Paul is addressing a group of people in Rome, believers in Rome. But he's also contending with something that he was contending with throughout his ministry, this idea of legalism. See, many Christians uh, came from Judaism and they accepted Jesus Christ. They identified and recognized and acknowledged Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, as the Messiah. But with that context came Judaizers, those who tried to impose Jewish tradition, ceremony, and different things like that, uh, what we would call today as legalism. So Paul was constantly contending with this idea of people adding to salvation. It's Jesus plus this. It's Jesus plus that. And so Paul is addressing this here throughout the book of Romans, and here again in Romans 7. And and understand that every Christian, no matter who you are, can experience freedom in Christ. But it's it's imperative that you understand some of these key insights that Paul makes clear here in Romans 7. Uh, The first key of insight is this. Our relationship to the law. What's our relationship to the law? Now when I talk about law, or when Paul is talking about law, more importantly, he's referring to the Ten Commandments, the law of God, the Torah. And here in Romans 7, we see Paul's struggle. And thank God, we also see that Jesus is the answer to our struggles with sin. So here we go. Romans 7, chapter 7, starting with verse 1, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, Don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? And now he gives an example. Listen to this. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as as he's alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. Verse 3, so while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So what's going on here? Why all of a sudden is is Paul talking about the marriage protocols? And and what's the purpose of that? Well, Paul's choosing this analogy of marriage to illustrate how we relate to the law. And... uh, Keep in mind the context of who Paul's writing to, the culture of the day. Um, Roman and Jewish law said that a woman was bound to her husband for life. It was a covenant for life. The only way she could be uh, free from that covenant was the death of her husband. And, And when this happened, she was perfectly free to marry again. This was... The, the law within Rome, pagan law, as well as Jewish law. Now, applying this analogy to the believer, 
and our relationship to the law. The, the woman is the believer and the law is the husband. However, because the law cannot die, Paul has the woman as the believer die in verse 4. Let me read verse 4, Romans 7. You'll, you'll understand where I'm going with this. It sounds a little deep, but it'll be clear, and Paul makes it crystal clear. Listen to this. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. So he's going to make a point. You died to the power of law when you died with Christ. And now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. You see the correlation here in the analogy that Paul uses in the marriage analogy? So the first key insight regarding our relationship with the law is that our marriage to the law has been dissolved as believers. If you're a born-again believer, you're not married to the law. It's been dissolved by our identification to the death of Christ. And that's what Paul states. So as a result, we're not married to the law. We're married to Jesus, and the law has no claims on us. And, and this is Paul's analogy, and, it, and he states it very clearly. And it's exciting because Paul describes now our freedoms in verses 5 and 6. Listen to this. When we were controlled, I'm in verse 5 of Romans 7 now. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. In verse 6 of Romans 7, but now we have been released from the law, for we died to it, and we're no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. So that's the new way. We now live in the Spirit. We strive to walk in the Spirit. We're not bound by the law to be acceptable to God by uh, fulfilling all the Ten Commandments. And we've proven over centuries and centuries of history, of human history, that no one can live perfectly under the law without breaking the law. So instead of despair now, we walk in, in the Spirit. Instead of despair, we have joy. And, and instead of bondage, you and I have freedom in Christ. Instead of death, death there's life. We no longer belong to the law, but to Christ Jesus. So this is most important and is the first key of insight, our relationship to the law. Your relationship to the law has been dissolved because you have a relationship now with Jesus Christ, if you are a born-again believer. I'll never forget, uh, I was doing some construction years ago before ministry, and one of the guys I was working with was a believer, he was a Christian, but he was associated with a, with a group that, that uh, they were law keepers. He identified as a Christian, and... and but he also identified as a Sabbath keeper or a law keeper. I'll never forget, he looked at me and said, Steve, how come you're not obedient to God? And I said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? He says, well, you don't, you don't worship on Saturday, the Sabbath. And, and God's not pleased with that. And so that started a whole series of conversations about why I worship on Sunday. 
Sunday's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. So every Sunday we celebrate his resurrection. And the early church modeled that, and it continues today. And so Jesus said every day is our Sabbath, and we should worship God each and every day. Now, the first key of insight was just understanding your relationship with the law, the Ten Commandments. They're good. And listen, if you're walking in the Spirit, striving to move and function in the Spirit of God, being led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to desire, and just through what I would say osmosis, if I could use that word, you're going to want to be obedient to the law. But you're not obedient to the law to gain acceptance to God. Your acceptance to God took place on the cross when Jesus died on the cross, and you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, the second key of insight is our understanding of how the law and sin interact in our experience. Now, here Paul becomes very personal. The marriage analogy was hypothetical. It was a hypothetical illustration that Paul used in the first few verses of chapter 7. But now Paul turns to an autobiographical way of illustrating. And my second point this morning is the relation of law to sin. So Paul's point here is the law, the Ten Commandments, they reveal our sin. They're good because they reveal how much we need God. And, and many scholars think that, that Paul's personal experience may have taken place about the time that he went through his bar mitzvah and he became, as that term translates, a son of the law. It's a rite of passage for males in Judaism. Uh, whether that took place at that time in Paul's life is conjecture, um, but he began to seriously reflect on the Ten Commandments. And and listen, Paul found that he did pretty well with the Ten Commandments until he came to the one that says, you shall not covet in Exodus 20.17. Hear me out on this. I'm not speculating. This is what Paul says in Romans 7.7. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? He says, of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. So, Paul is being personal now. He's being transparent. He says it's the law. The the law's not sinful. He says, of course not. But it's the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong, Paul says, if the law had not said you must not covet. So possibly Paul as a young man began to see that his inner life was filled with coveting. He saw the rest of the Ten Commandments are broken through the sins which originate with coveting. Think about it. And as a result, this young Saul began to see himself as he really was. That's a major point. When you look to God's Word and you look to God's law, it reveals who we are and how much we have need for a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. The Bible tells us that uh, that's, if, in fact, what the law does. It reveals who we really are. In fact, Romans 3.20 says, through the law we become conscious of sin. 
It's through God's law, through God's mandates, through God's uh, uh, instruction. It reveals who we are and it makes us aware of our sin. James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25, he tells us that the law is a mirror which reveals the inner man. So what a gift the law is, because it reveals where we're at. It reveals who we are, and then we can do something about it. But the law not only reveals sin, it activates sin. That's where it gets a little dicey in this passage. And, and, and for some of, you, some of you, maybe a little bit uh, difficult to understand. The, the law not only reveals our sin, but it activates sin. Here's what Paul says in Romans 7, 8 through 9. He says, But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me, Paul says. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to my life. So the law says don't covet, and Paul's saying by nature, by my sin nature, coveting sounds exciting. I remember as as a kid, we had a neighbor who spent time every weekend and every time he was off work manicuring his lawn and his bushes in his front yard. And he was one of those guys, and I kid you not, we'd be riding our bikes or our skateboards down the street. And if we got too close to his lawn, he'd turn the sprinklers on. He just didn't want anybody messing with his front yard. And finally, he put a sign up that said, keep off the grass. Well, what do you think I did? What do you think all my friends did? We didn't keep off the grass. As soon as we saw that sign that said, stay off the grass, keep off the grass. It's forbidden for you to go on the grass. We, we were like magnets to his grass. Every chance we could, we messed around, we wrestled, we played football on his grass just to get a rise out of him. I hate to confess to that sin, That wasn't very nice of me, but it's an illustration of when someone says you can't do this or you can't do that, we're drawn to that. And that's what Paul's saying right here. That's what he's saying right here. He he says not, not only does the law reveal and activate sin, but it kills. Listen to verse 10 through 12 of Romans 7. He says, and I died, Paul says. So I discovered that the law's commands which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead because they reveal how far we are from God. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy. So Paul wants to make sure that we understand that God's laws are holy. And its commands are holy, and they're right. And Paul says, and they're good. So the commands perfectly kept bring life. If we could keep God's Ten Commandments, if perfectly, which nobody can, nobody has been able to, except Jesus, he's the only perfect individual. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said that they were not born into sin. It was only later in life that they realized that they had some sin. But initially, from birth till many years after, they had never sinned. They didn't have any sin. And I asked him, I said, well, is your name Jesus? And they kind of took a step back. Because Jesus is the only person. He's the only 
100% person, 100% God, individual who never committed a sin. That's why I asked this guy if his name was Jesus, and certainly his name was not Jesus. And so we have an issue when people say they don't have sin. The, the law, what's good about it is it reveals that we have sin. It's a good thing. Paul says it's a good thing. Uh, but we have the law, and we know, understand that it's holy, but we also understand that, as he says in 2 Corinthians, Paul says in verse uh, 6 of chapter 3, he says, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. You see, when you became born again, a uh, Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you're, you were activated. Your, your spirit was activated. The Holy Spirit resides within you. And now you live for Christ. Spirit gives life. The law recognizes and, and uh, gives us an understanding of the magnitude of our sin. Listen to what it says in verse 13 of Romans 7. It says, but how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So before we came under the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, some of you were ignorant or unaware of your depth of sin. Think about this. That, that time you... You accepted Jesus Christ, and from that time you begin to grow spiritually. You would look back over your life and go, Wow, I was so far from God. I, I know I broke God's heart. But when you were in that place of not knowing you were breaking God's heart, not really realizing the depth of your sin, you were in a place of ignorance. But now that you're in a place of walking with the Lord, those things have become known to you. And so you see things differently. You understand God's righteous requirements. And, and your sinfulness becomes painfully apparent now as a believer of Jesus Christ. So now, as a Christian, we have this life in Christ, this continuing revelation of this radical nature of our sin. There's a fight. There's a war going on in all of us between the Spirit and sin. And sometimes we're tempted to blame God for our sin problem. But, but we see that the problem's not God. The problem is our sin. All Christians face some difficulties in doing the right thing. I, I want you to think back to the night before the cross. You've read it in the Scriptures and the Gospels. You've watched it on movies about the life of Jesus. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus agonized over the weight of our sin. But as always, the Lord's heart was also on the well-being of His followers. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, Jesus said this, He said, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit Indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we see it from the words of Jesus, just this, this uh, separation of our flesh and how weak it is and, and the need for the Spirit. And there's this war going on. 
all Christians will face difficulties in doing the right things in life. And that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul states in chapter 10, verse 12, he says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And he's talking about being so confident that you got it together, that you don't sin, that you're not going to sin, that you'll never fall. Having that false pride, that false confidence, be careful. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Our humility needs to be in Christ. Our our discipline needs to be one that we're completely surrendered to Jesus Christ and dependent on Jesus Christ. Now, here in verses 14 through 23, Paul tells us about his own struggles. I love it. It's not pleasant to read this or hear this, but I love the fact that Paul really becomes transparent at this point and talks to you now about his struggles. Listen to this. Romans 7, starting with verse 14, he says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, Paul says. For I am all too human. He says, a slave to sin. This is the Apostle Paul. It doesn't get more transparent than this. See, that's what I love about people who love Jesus Christ. And they can share their story. They can share their testimony. And they can be real with others and, and talk about how God's pulled them from some ugly, dark places and, and, and has breathed life into them and has given them a new start, a new beginning. And that's Paul is describing the struggle that he goes through. And in verse 15 he says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. The Apostle Paul's saying this. He authored uh, a good portion of the New Testament under the unction of the Holy Spirit. He is being so transparent here. And he says in verse 16, but if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. He explains it beautifully. Paul's explaining perfectly the war that goes on within all of us. A war that many people don't see. It goes on in our mind. The struggle that we have with sin. And and that struggle, that dichotomy of wanting to serve the Lord and walk in the Spirit and be a godly man or woman, young man or young woman, and yet... You struggle with sin, this war, this battle's going on. He says in verse 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now listen to this, verse 21 of Romans 7. He says, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. Paul says he loves God's law. He was trained in God's law. He was mentored by one of the greatest mentors, Gamaliel, in God's law. He loves the Lord. He loves God's Word. But he says, 
there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Now, Paul having disclosed this internal struggle that he personally is going through certainly opens a door to connecting with his audience, the recipients of this letter to to the Romans. This guy is the real deal. He's legit. He's not some holy Joe that uh, never does anything wrong and there's this big chasm between him and the common man. No, Paul's right there with all of us and he says, look, I have the same struggles as you. I want to do what's right. I know what's right, and I inevitably do what's wrong. So here's what we've done so far this morning. We've we've come to a place of of understanding what the first key of insight is. It's that we're dead to the law. We're, We're alive in Christ. We're not married to the law. We're married to Christ. And because of that, we have freedom over sin, over death. We have victory. Is there a war going on? Yes. But knowing the fact that we have victory is is part of the process of knowing you're going to win in Christ. Now listen to this. The second key that I looked at this morning, the insight, it shows our relationship between the law and sin. And that it's the sin that's within us that is wrong. God's not the problem. It's the sin issue. And next time I'm with you with the series, Know the Why, we're going to look at the next key insight, which gives us an understanding more clearly of how we can have victory, walk in victory, even knowing that we struggle with sin, but not allowing that sin to be a blockade or a border from us, jumping over and just walking in victory and doing the things that God's called us to do the purpose that He's called us to. To live a life, an abundant life. A life that's free in Christ Jesus. Now, hearing those words excite me. A life that's free in Christ Jesus. The only way you can be free is if you are free in Christ. There are no other avenues of having or acquiring complete freedom in your life, in your mind. Freedom from your past, freedom from addiction, freedom from from ill-fated feelings, victimization, freedom from everything. The only way you can truly have freedom is through Jesus Christ. And Paul wonderfully explains this as we move forward in the book of Romans. But I want to give you an opportunity right here, right now, to become free, to experience, to taste the freedom that Jesus and only Jesus can give you. You see, God sent His Son over 2,000 years ago to die on the cross. He took on all of your sin. God loves you so much, He's not going to force His love on you. You have to make a choice today. And today, by the way, is the day for salvation. Would you invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Lord and Savior? Quit fighting it. Quit doing it your own way. You know it's not working. Quit finagling. Quit manipulating. You know it's not working. The only thing that's going to work is a relationship with Jesus. You surrendering control of your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to do that right now. And it's easy to do. 
repeat this prayer after me with your heart. Mean it. The Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's a sincere, heartfelt prayer. Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask You to forgive me of all of my sin. Jesus, I believe in You and I thank You for Your forgiveness. I believe that You died on the cross. I believe that You rose from the grave. And I now ask You to be my Lord and Savior. Be the Master of my life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, I want to congratulate you to the family of God. I want to just thank you for joining us this morning. And it's a blessing that you prayed that prayer. Maybe you rededicated your life to the Lord this morning. Whether you gave your heart to Christ for the first time or rededicated your life to the Lord, I want you to text the word pray to the number you see on the screen right now. I want to connect with you and and help you grow spiritually. And if you need a Bible, you can let me know and I'll send you a new believer's Bible. But God bless you. Thank you for joining us.